everyone, and welcome back to Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. And yes, it is still snowing in April here in Utah. Big thanks to Utah's own Pixie and the Party Grass Boys for kicking things off once again. And let's send a shout out to our sponsor, High West, Utah's first legal distillery since 1870. High West is passionate about crafting delicious and distinctive whiskeys and helping people appreciate whiskey all in the context of our home here in the American West. When you're in Utah, visit one of High West's locations in Park City and nearby Wanship. And I want to send out a big thanks to our episode sponsors, including the Alta Chamber. Create a memorable visit to Alta this winter and enhance that feeling of time well spent. And also thanks to Park City Peaks, one of the greatest hotel values in Park City. If you're a skier or rider anywhere in the country, or the world for that matter, you've been following the record snowfall here in Utah this season. And even in April, it's been continuing to dump snow. If you've been up at the resorts this winter, you know firsthand that gear has been important. When it's dumping two feet in the cottonwoods, you want to have great outerwear that's going to perform, keeping you warm and dry. In this episode of Last Chair, we're going to explore outerwear from both a performance standpoint as well as sustainability. I was kitted out this past winter in steel, my first season with the line. When selecting my gear last fall, I just love the color matching tool on the steel.com website. But we also wanted to probe a bit further here on Last Chair to learn about the materials and the initiatives that Steel, a Ski Utah sponsor, was taking relative to sustainability. You may recall that a few seasons ago, we had Steel founder Stephen Sullivan on Last Chair talking about his passion for the Mountain West. Sandy Flint is a New England native who grew a passion for the Mountain West on ski trips when he was young. After college, he headed for Utah, where he spent a season as a ski instructor at Solitude, where he says today that he saw more snow than he had ever seen in his life. With a degree in engineering and a passion for art and the outdoors, Sandy headed back to college to get a master's degree in fiber science and apparel design. And that eventually led him to Steel, where he works today as its senior materials manager. Sandy Flint and I had a fascinating discussion about sustainability, which goes well beyond technical materials themselves. Steel is a company that accounts literally everything into its sustainability equation. In this episode of Last Chair, you'll learn about technical innovations to fabrics in recent years that help minimize impact on our environment, and how everything from shipping to travel is accounted for at Steel. Let's join Steel Senior Materials Manager Sandy Flint in a fascinating episode of Last Chair. And today on Last Chair, we're going to talk about sustainability, sustainable products. And with me today from Steo, an official partner of Ski Utah, Sandy Flint. Sandy, uh, thanks for joining us on Last Chair. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, great to be here today. Yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been an amazing winter. I know you're up in Jackson with uh, with Steel, but just kind of in general. Before we get into talking about materials, this has been a real winter, hasn't it? Oh my gosh. It's so good to have it back. The last couple of years, I feel like we just haven't had this many powder days in a row, but we're the the post office up here right now is buried under snow. And even at our house, there's banks. We're getting a little tired of shoveling it, but I'll shovel as long as we can ski it. 
Yeah. You know, I, I think of that every morning when I go out and shovel and it's, and it's like my, my, my friends are like saying, Oh my goodness, we got two inches last night. And I said, well, we got 20 and that's pretty much normal. <laughs> two inches. I don't shovel. So we are getting our workout with that, but it's been a great season here in Utah. And we're recording this in the early to mid part of March. And I know we've got a ski season, snowboard season that's going to take us well through April. So it's been, it's been a great year. So Steel is a great partner of Ski Utah, and I've become much more familiar with the brand over the last few years. We now have a store here in my hometown of Park City. It's been great to go down there and be wowed by the colors and the materials that you have. But if you could tell us a little bit about the background on Steel, how did it come into existence, and what are some of its guiding principles? Yeah, so Steel was founded in Jackson Hole by Stephen Sullivan in 2011. And before Steo, Sully had started a brand called Cloudville, which was really focused on like core technical apparel for the outdoor industry. And by contrast, when he started Steo, he was really trying to think about like the totality of mountain life. So everything that you need on a daily encounter when you live in a mountain town, that could be touring before work, it could be a hike up or a bike ride or something. But we wanted to have this versatile product that you could wear from a peak to the valley floor, into a board meeting even. So that was sort of the, the general idea behind like the concept of Steo is to be this really versatile product that had multi-uses. And then do the right thing is something that we've always said in Steo too, that you know we have one planet that we're living on, so we need to make sure that what we're doing is the best that we can do, best quality so it lasts the longest time, best materials so that it's just really durable. And then when we have a choice to make between a, more sustainable material and a less sustainable material, we always want to be making sure that we're making informed decisions for the lowest impact. We're going to get back to the sustainable materials, but I, I, I just want to reflect a little bit more on the growth of the company. Here in Utah, I remember yeah, four or five years ago, we started to see these really colorful jackets and pants in, in, in lift lines and kind of wonder, well, what is this brand? I really didn't know that much about it. And over the last few years, we're starting to see more and more. I have to say that this year, we're starting to see a lot of steel in the lift lines here in Utah. The company has an interesting sales process. It's While there are some concept stores around, a lot of what you do is direct sales. And talk to me a little bit about how the company markets its products. Yeah, so the, the company was founded as a direct-to-consumer brand. So we were all based off of our website and a catalog that we sent around. And all the marketing is done in-house by our team of growing team of people at this point. But we, we love that we're in the Mountain West and we're all actual like outdoor enthusiasts who get to wear the product. And that makes the storytelling that much easier. As being a direct-to-consumer brand, it also lets us be that much closer to our customers. So we're not worried about trying to train a retail store how to tell the story of Stia, we're right there telling the customer what the story is. So in addition to our online presence in the catalog, we've also started opening Mountain Studios. And as you mentioned, there's one down Park City. Um, we've just opened our ninth Mountain Studio in South Lake Tahoe. That's the end of next month. And later this year, we're hoping to open Bozeman as well. So we're seeing a lot of growth in our stores. And then as a company as well, we're just about 150 people right now. So still pretty lean and mean, but that number has doubled in the last, you know, probably year and a half here. So a lot of growth. You know, you mentioned a little bit about this, but as a direct-to-consumer company, you do have that ability to get really direct feedback. How do you take that feedback and put it into action? You are small and lean, but probably means that you also have a greater ability to listen to that feedback. And when you get an email, you know, really put it to work. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the biggest benefits of being direct to consumers, our development lead time is much shorter. 
Whereas, you know, traditional retailers maybe have two years of product development cycle. We're just about 14 months. So when we start to, you know, we're very closely watching our uh, customer feedback through the website or through warranty claims or anything like that. And as we get that info, we're able to affect change in the next season, which is pretty unique in the outdoor industry. Well, let's talk about something that, I don't know, this might or might not be right in your bailiwick, but one of the things that has struck me from the first time I saw the brand out in the mountains are the colors, the colorways that you have. They're, they're, they're vibrant, they're different, they're, they're unique. Has that become a big, was, was that intentional that that's a big part of the brand or is that something that's just come to be? It's absolutely part of the brand. Yeah. We have a, we have one of the largest color palettes I've ever worked with. Each season, we're, we're near 60 different colors that we may be choosing from. And unlike a lot of other brands, black is not our number one color. And so we don't, we don't push a lot of color stories and then have just the black one. I would say at CO, most of our most popular colors are the blues and grays. But as, as you're referencing, it's, it's a crayon box. We have so many colors to choose from. And then we really try to push that into our product and, and keep it you know, bright and fun. Who gets to come up with the names for some of these colors? That's, that's a great question. Usually, so we have one color designer here who helps sort of set the palette for each season. And she'll have, it could be a whole nother podcast. She has great stories behind like what the color uh, stories are and how, how they all come together and work together. But the color naming is something that often happens as like a group committee in the office. We'll sit down over lunch and we'll play some word games. And by association, we'll get a number of words and then we start to plug them together and you pick some that sound nice and then you start looking at browns and you say, that's obviously the rodeo dust brown. And (laughs) there's some really clear ones that just jump out to you. But we really try to use place to drive a lot of our color naming. Yeah. I really love that. I really love that concept. We uh, bought a car recently and was trying to figure out who came up with some of these names of the colors, but I, I, I love your colorways. W- one other kind of operational point that I just wanted to highlight, I, I, I utilize the online tool that you have where you can mix and match pants and jackets and see how the, 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 the different colors line up. That is just a brilliant tool. It allowed me to bring my wife in, who's not a skier, and say, does this match? You know, that's a great tool. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool tool. And I'm going to forget the name of it right now, but on our website, yeah, absolutely. You can put your tops and bottoms together. And we have so many different colors and jackets and pants to choose from that this lets you in, in one view sort of put it together, build your kit. Well, Sandy, let's talk about you a little bit. You found your way out here to the Mountain West. And what was your pathway to get out to the Mountain West and also pick up the knowledge that you have on on fabrics and textiles and other materials? Yeah. So like you referenced, I'm originally from the Northeast. As a kid, my parents taught me how to ski and we took a lot of family ski trips out to Montana. That was really what drove me when I went to college. I decided to go to Colorado College. It was in the mountains. I loved loved being able to hike and raft and ski. And after graduation, I moved to Salt Lake. So I was living right in Cottonwood Heights, uh, behind the firehouse between the two canyons. I had a winter job up at Solitude as a ski instructor. And that was just eye-opening to me, you know, more snow than I'd ever seen in my life when I was in Utah. But one thing led to another. My sister was moving up to Jackson and I was helping drive the moving truck and ran into an old friend who had an empty room. And I found myself in Jackson in like 2009, but I always wanted to get back into product. So my undergrad degree was in engineering and I had a lot of background in art. And I found a graduate program at Cornell University. It was called Fiber Science and Apparel Design. And I thought this is a, a perfect way to blend my, you know, sort of passion for art with a technical background. So I spent two years at Cornell. I was 
working on membranes that would go into like technical fabrics. Um, and that sort of led me into the outdoor industry. Yeah, that's fascinating. Did you, if you go back to when you were growing up as a kid and you had some of these interests, did you, did you think when you were younger about some of the technical aspects of the clothing that you wore outdoors? You know, I, I did. I, I actually, I had a sort of alternative early education. It was a Waldorf school. And, you know, as early as first grade, they had us knitting scarves. We were like sewing little stuffed animals in second, third grade, something like that. And so I always had this, like this interest in the technical side of the gear that we were using, thinking about how it's put together, what material choices are, how, how it might be improved for function based on design. So it's always sort of been in the back of my head. Um, now I just get to live it, which is pretty cool working for a company like Steo, where we're a team of about 15 people on the product creation where someone's coming up with the ideas, we're talking materials, we're talking construction, we're talking about end use, and then actually getting to put it to test here in the mountains. What is your specific role at Steo, and how do you, you know, kind of what's a typical, if there is a typical day, what's that like for you? So my, yeah, my role here is the senior materials manager, and we have two materials managers, and we take care of the relationships with all of our material partners. So if it's a fabric mill or a knitting mill, maybe it's YKK who's providing us with zippers. We manage the relationships there to try to develop new fabrics or source new fabrics that, that might be of interest for us in, in a new product category. But that's everything from getting the right colors to meeting quality specs to specking, you know, figuring out ways that we can make materials more sustainable. In the second half of the podcast, we're going to dive pretty deep into some of the materials, but just as a general, maybe a little bit of history, if we go back in time, 10, 15, 20 years, there's been a pretty big evolution of technical materials, hasn't there? Yeah, there has been. You know, going back from when Gore originally came out with a multi-layer laminate, what we've been able to accomplish since then, just making it more waterproof, more breathable, much more environmentally friendly materials along the way to, you know, taking some of the more harmful chemicals out has been quite a journey. And then what we can do in recycling right now and reusing products is really awesome. So fun, fun to be in this industry right now. We're going to dive into that in just a minute. We're going to take a short break here on Last Chair. And when we return, we'll be back with Sandy Flint. And we're going to talk about Steel's initiatives to be climate neutral and talk about some of the great materials in those colorful jackets and pants you're seeing around Utah this winter. We'll be right back on Last Chair. We've been hearing a lot about the record snowfall at Alta this winter, and it has been amazing. And while I know if you go to Alta, you're there for some deep powder. Okay, I know that. But there's a lot more in the Alta mountain community. This winter, create a memorable visit to Alta and enhance that feeling of time well spent. Immerse yourself in the community at some of Alta's local events, such as the Snowflake Festival, Saloon Nights, local live music, or go snowshoeing with a ranger. Alta is not just a ski area. Many come for skiing only to discover a community with so much more to offer. Go to altacommunity.org for more information. Now let's head back to Steel for our conversation on sustainability with Sandy Flint. And we're back on Last Chair with Sandy Flint, the material, Senior Materials Manager for Steel. And Sandy, we're going to dive into some of and I'm really anxious to hear some of the science behind the materials that you work with. But first, just kind of to set an overview, Steel, as we talked about in the opening, has really become a leader 
in the soft goods industry with what it's been doing with environmentally sensitive products and direction of the company. Talk a bit more about that, if you could, and particularly the initiatives of Steo to be climate neutral. Yeah. So, you know, anytime we're making product, we're contributing to, you know, additional carbon footprint. At Steo, when we started to look at it internally, we started a a group called the Steel Storeship Council. And that was just a grassroots employee-led group that I got to be part of. But we're really looking at what, you know, what initiatives should we be going after? Is it, you know, just materials? Is it water? Is it climate change? You know, what what is it at Steel that we can actually affect some change? And so what we landed on was looking at our carbon footprint because we think that's a really good proxy. If you're using more electricity, you have a higher carbon footprint. If you're using more water, you have a higher carbon, you know, it all comes back to a carbon footprint. And so we partnered with a group called Climate Neutral, and they have this great tool called the BEE, and it's like a business environmental estimator. And, and what we were able to do there is a, a carbon footprint for a company like Steel is super complex and challenging to get every little detail of everything that we do and sum it up. And so using the B tool, we were able to more easily estimate what our carbon footprint was. And that's something that you know, we started in 2020. This will be our third year for 2022. And it's a great proxy for us to look at what inputs are going into our product. How would we run as a company? You know, we're even looking at like how people commute to the office and what kind of impact we can have there. And then at the end of it, we sum it all up. We make a reduction plan for next year. We try to reduce and anything we can't reduce, we're offsetting through high quality carbon offsets. Let's explore that a little bit more. And this, this is something that's been intriguing me. If you're doing a budget for an organization, you have revenue and you have expenses that offset that revenue. In this world, you have things that you do that create carbon and you have things that you do to offset it. Can you give me some examples of, of the principle of offsets and what are some of the things that Steel has been doing in that area? Yeah, you're right on. So when we start to do, we, we call it carbon accounting as well. So it's just like any other budget. We have scope one, two, and three. Scope one is any energy that we're using for our offices, our retail stores, any vans that we're driving between them. Scope two would be emissions from any electricity that's purchased for those sites. And then scope three is always the biggest one. And this is our supply chain. So that's looking at raw materials, shipping, air travel, anything that's outside of Steo, but that we're you know bringing into our product. And so when we started looking at you know, our initial carbon footprint, which was a great benchmark, you'll see very small amounts. We're a small company, but looking just at our office and at the time it was two stores. And so that's grown a little bit, but we don't drive around too much. We're pretty close and a lot of people biked to the office. And then a huge amount of the impact is really in the materials and in the construction of our garments and in the shipping of our garments. And so one of our initial sort of reduction strategies was to first look at any product that we could make closer to the U.S. So we make a fair amount of product now. Our socks, for example, come from the U.S. Hats and beanies are coming from Canada. A lot of our knit products, t-shirts and fleeces, things like that, we're manufacturing in Central America now. And by bringing that closer to the U.S., we were able to reduce the carbon footprint of all of those products. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And I, I think going back in time with the with the manufacturing industry, whether that's in the ski and snowboard industry or really any industry, there was less attention paid to this. I, I, I'm wondering today, the the consumer market is different. The consumer market today, I imagine, 
the consumers of your product are more savvy on this. It's something that they look for. And are, are you hearing that kind of feedback from your customers that this is something that really does mean something to them? Absolutely. Again, being direct, we have a lot of direct communication with all of these customers. And so we have you know a lot of feedback from customers who are looking for specifically products made in the U.S. or for more recycled materials or for products with without certain chemicals down to very, very specific ask. Sometimes customers might have some irritability to some very specific dye stuff and they'll ask, is this in your blue jacket or in your green jacket or something like that? So yeah, I think, you know, customers are definitely much more educated in, in what's out there and, and how to make more informed decisions about the products that they're purchasing. Let's dive into materials. And I'm sure that in the material world, you are getting some raw materials. You're also utilizing materials like Gore-Tex and others. But give us a little bit of a primer on the materials that you use and how you've woven the sustainability message into them. We predominantly use you know, synthetic and natural fibers. Cotton is our largest natural fiber. We also use some wool. On the synthetic side, there's a lot of nylon and a lot of polyester fibers as well. And we'll use those synthetics in more technical aspects or, you know, in a jacket where we don't want water to be absorbed into the face. And then as a whole, we looked at our whole material offering and we started dividing it into what we call preferred materials and then non-preferred materials. So a preferred material is anything that has been recycled from something else. On the synthetic side, on natural side, we, we might say it's an organically grown cotton where they're using less cells on the field to actually grow the cotton and it in turn uses less water. So it's a lower impact material. What we've really been able to do in a couple of years here is adopt a lot more recycled materials. And it's super easy to take something like a plastic water bottle, grind it down, melt it, turn it back into a very strong fiber that we can weave into a fabric and dye up almost any color. So we've seen a lot, a lot of transition at Steo to preferred materials that's in the last maybe three years. Are using the plastic bottle as an example, are you actually doing some of this type of work in your factories or are you sourcing this from third parties knowing that this is a way to recycle those particular products? That's a great question. Most of it is coming from third-party sources like Unify is a, is a partner of ours and they, they do the collecting of the bottles and chip them and then sell that chip to our factories who are actually extruding the, the yarns. Yeah. Going back to the preferred materials list, can you give me a few examples of some of the preferred materials that you've pioneered at Steel? Yeah, just in the last year, we had three large ones. One was our Environ program. So that's our sort of flagship ski jacket, shell jacket. And we were able to take that and turn it into a polyester. And it sounds, sounds simple, but it was this mechanical stretch yarn. It was a very specific yarn. When you start thinking about the, you know, converting something to recycled, number one for us is, is it going to be as strong and as durable? We don't want to lose any performance. So it might take a little extra time to make it as durable. And then number two, we have to, of course, consider the cost and then the properties. Yeah, making sure it still has all the same, you know, stretch or hand feel, which is how a fabric might feel. And so it, it takes maybe two or three rounds of ideation to, you know, from concept to a fabric that we think this is close. Then we make it up into a garment and then we get it out on the ski slopes for about you know a couple months and see how it performs actually when you're you have sharp ski edges and snow and water. So are you actually building prototype garments and putting them to test out on the hill? That's right. Yep. We in our sort of advanced development cycle for these, we will we'll have a I don't know, at least I'd say about a season ahead of time, we'll have these products out on the slope. I may be out there, we may pass it off to someone in the marketing team. 
but we'll, we'll use CEO employees. And then if it passes that test, we'll pass it on to CEO ambassadors who can help give us some feedback before we actually bring that textile in line. As we look ahead to the 23-24 season, which is it's coming up. We're still, we still got to get this one behind us, but I know that you already have your product lines for next season ready to go. I would assume that you do. Are there any particular materials that you can tease us with looking ahead to next year? Yeah. One that we're very excited about is a new ski collection we're calling the Figment Collection. So look out for this next fall, but it's a take on our Environ program, but a little bit more free ride oriented. So this is another one where we used a recycled polyester. We built it into a ripstop fabric though, as well as a plain weave. So it has a little bit more durability in some key areas on your, but this is sort of the next evolution, I think, of our environment program for the, the free ride skier out there. Cool. You know, I want to talk a little bit about Gore-Tex and waterproof breathable. And Gore-Tex was a fabric that really helped to revolutionize outdoor wear. I know that it's something that it's been a brand that I've looked for for 30 years and I still continue to look to. What's the science of Gore-Tex? And I know you have some products that are similar and just give us a little 411 on those. Sure. Yeah. So Gore-Tex, the, the secret ingredient in Gore-Tex is their membrane. And what they were able to do from way back is they, they took a material called PTFE and they expanded it. So they stretched it and it makes it EPTFE. And in stretching it, it opens up millions of tiny holes in the fab, in this, it's a plastic sheet really. And those plastic holes are small enough that a raindrop or a water droplet, the smallest water droplet when it's held together cannot pass through. But when that water droplet evaporates, the water vapor is small enough to pass through the tiny holes. And so what Gore did was they took this material, we you know, call it a microporous membrane, and they were able to glue it onto a fabric so that then the fabric had that property that water couldn't pass through, but the you know, sweat or vapor could pass through. So when you're wearing a Gore-Tex jacket, you don't get clammy inside. It doesn't get really, you know, when you sweat, it's able to pass that moisture to the face of the fabric where it evaporates. So that's sort of the basics of a, of a Gore construction. What Gore's done just recently that we're really excited about is they're actually for the first time in their existence re-engineering that membrane. And there's a small chemical called a PFC or a fluorochemical that is existing in that membrane. And Gore's re-engineered it to not have that chemical anymore. So they're now calling their new membrane EPE, which is an expanded PE plastic. And it's a, you know, stronger, lighter, all the things we want, more breathable, just, you know, more durable and more environmentally friendly. So overall, they, they did a great sort of footprint on it. And they're showing that it has a lower carbon footprint, better for the environment and still meeting that gore spec of super waterproof guaranteed to keep you dry. And you'll have this in your line next season? Yeah. For Steel, this will be launched in our, what we call our fall 23 season. So coming out next fall in our double charge jacket. Just to learn a little bit more, tell us what PFCs are and why they're a bad thing. Yeah, so they're these well, wonderful little, holes, right? They're used in almost everything from consumer products, food packaging, fire retardants, in the outdoor uh, nonstick pans is another example. What's great chemically about them is that they're extremely durable. It's also what's really bad about them environmentally is that they don't break down. Their half-life mm -hmm. can be over, you know, half a million or 500,000 years or something. And when they don't break down, they start to bioaccumulate in the environment. So that could be in, you know, waterways. It could be in, you know, the small fish that gets eaten by the larger fish. And suddenly there's a, a lot more of them. 
So in the outdoor industry, historically, PFCs have been used in DWR, which is a durable water repellent. So what goes on the outside of our technical apparel to make the water bead up are these tiny little PFC, you know, I, I like to describe them as you know, small fingers that stand up on end. And that's what holds the water droplets off the surface of the fabric. And over the last, I would say, three to four years, we're starting to see better chemistries that actually remove those PFC from the DWR chemistry. And so they're going to other things like waxes or silicones or different chemicals that can make the jacket waterproof. So that's another initiative at Steel that we've been working on for almost all of our line in fall 23, coming out next fall, we will have PFC-free DWR in our garments. You know, I'm kind of curious, and this is not so much a technical question, but you you are a leader in this at Steo and looking at ways to be more sustainable, to take your company into the future. Within your industry, with other companies, do you share ideas? Do you look at technologies and or, or at least share a mutual passion for trying to be more sustainable across the entire soft goods industry? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we work very closely with the outdoor industry, OIA industry association and they've been doing a wonderful job of bringing brands together to talk about these issues they offer help you know sort of primers on topics they'll do conversations and breakouts where you know a group from steo might be talking with a group from burton or patagonia and then they're also helping kick off some they're calling them like industry collabs where we could work together with other brands to you know we, we share a lot of the same mills where we get fabric and a lot of the same garment factories and so they're helping facilitate brands working together to, you know, maybe bring solar energy to the factories or to help re-engineer nylon in a more sustainable way. So absolutely, we're, we're working with some of our peer brands out there. Cool. So I have a problem that I think a lot of people have. Out in the garage, I've got probably a dozen pairs of skis. They're just sitting there. Down here in the basement, I got bin after bin and closet after closet full of old gear. So when my steel jacket went, well, my steel jacket doesn't so much wear out, but all of a sudden you come out with a new color that I really want. And I've got this old jacket. What can I do with that stuff? Great question. So we've launched something at Steel called the Second Turn Program which it's a, it's a take back program. And we like to then upcycle if we can and refresh garments so that they can be resold. But the second term program, if, if, you're, if you're interested, you'll go onto our website. There's a form to fill out. We'll send you a mailer. You send them back and, and our team will look at that product and decide what condition it's in, if it's something that we can reuse. If it is, we'll give you, you know, up to 25% of the value, original value of that garment in a gift card to purchase towards new steel product. And in turn, we'll take that used product and we send it down to this group in Colorado called Tursus. And they have a super cool washing machine. It's not like a home wash laundry machine. They use liquid CO2 that super cleans the garments. If they need patches, they get patched. If it needs a new zipper, we'll, we'll do that. And it hits our steel website for the second turn. And we're able to then sell that product back to customers at a you know lower price point. So this program's been really killer for steel. It's about a year and a half old. The original product, like we rehabbed, I think it was like 250 products and we sold them out in the first week that the program was launched. So since then in the year and a half, we've, we've turned about 2000 products that otherwise would have been sitting in your garage and sold them back to new customers. 
What a great project. I'm seeing that with some other companies where you can return it. I think oftentimes just for recycling, but the actual reuse, I, I love that. Before we get to our final section of Fresh Tracks, let's look into the crystal ball and look into the future. Is there anything that if you can look out five or 10 years in, in, in materials that are more sustainable, is there anything that you see that we should be watching for over the next decade? Something that I'm super excited about is trying to think more about mono materials. So right now when you make a jacket, there may be like Gore-Tex is a great example. We'll have a nylon face. They have that EPE membrane. There might be a polyester backer on it. We could put a metal zipper in it. You know, there's, there's all these different materials that go into your garment and there's reason behind that, you know, for durability concerns or an aesthetic or something like that, but it makes it very challenging to recycle that garment. So if we're unable to rehab it and sell it to another consumer, we have to throw it out and recycle it. When it's like really challenging to recycle, we can't do anything with it and it has to be just thrown out. So I'm excited about mono materials where we think about using, say, just polyester for the face, the membrane, the backer, polyester zippers, polyester anywhere we can, or nylon anywhere we can, or cotton anywhere we can. Because then you can take a garment and easily recycle that garment the same way that we're recycling plastic water bottles. I've, I've heard of a group up in Wisconsin that's starting to do this. So there's some like sort of early trials where they have actual fabrics that used to be garments. And I think that's so cool that we can think about, you know, using a jacket as long as we can, and then being able to recycle it and turn it back into a brand new jacket. Cool. Sandy, you have a pretty cool job at Steel, don't you? <laughs> I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. I get to geek out about the things I'm pretty passionate about. So. Cool. Well, it's been great to talk to you. And we're going to close it out now with our Fresh Tracks section. A little questions to wrap things up here. First of all, you spent a little bit of time in Utah. I know you ski down here, ride down here a little bit. Do you have a favorite Utah resort or a favorite run even in the state? Yeah, for my time at Solitude. Solitude's my favorite resort. And Here Be Dragons right off the top is one of my favorite zones. Sweet. When you were down here, I know you worked at Solitude, but did you get out and about a lot? Yeah, you know, I was right out of college. And so we, you know, I said we lived right between the canyons. We had a system figured out where we could ski at solitude in the morning, go up and over, ski down, down to Snowbird for the afternoon. Being under 25, nice. they had a special pass for us at that age and I skied quite a bit in Little Cottonwood as well. Got a little bit up to Deer Valley and Park City Canyons, but never up to Ogden. Not yet, at least. Can't wait. Yeah, there's still time. It's not that far from you. How about your most memorable ski day? I don't care where it was, your most memorable ski day. Whew. My parents taught me to ski at about age three, so I have 34 years of skiing in there. This is going to be a hard one. But maybe, maybe for this season, my most memorable, I have a one and a half year old and we've been able to get out on the magic carpet together and he'll only straight lines. He'll ski, doesn't know how to stop yet. But every time he gets down to the bottom, he just says, you can only string two words together. He says, more ski, more ski. <laughs> so skiing up on top of Snow King with him has been fantastic this winter. That's really gratifying. I have a two-year-old great-granddaughter and she's going to head out, I think. She doesn't know this yet, but she's going to head out there pretty soon. But here's a good one for you. What is your favorite steel color? Oh, great question. I mean, mountain shadow, which is a navy. That's my number one. Number two would be ranger green. Well, I have a mountain shadow jacket, so I'm with you on that one. Goes good with the gray pants. My wife my wife approved of that one. How about a favorite river out in the West to run? I, I love the Snake River up in Wyoming, or I've been down the Grand Canyon a couple of times and, you know, any stretch of the Colorado, be it, you know, in the headwaters or down in Moab, that's as good as it gets to me. 
Where do you like to run the snake out of Jackson? We, we have a great stretch that I can, in the summer, we have daylight until 10 o'clock here. So if I'm out of the office by 530, I'm able to float from the Wilson Bridge, fish my way all the way down to South Park. Pretty sweet, isn't it? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Final question. Give me a sustainable material that you work with today that did not exist 10 years ago. Oh, the Gore-Tex EPE membrane. It didn't exist last year. <laughs> awesome. That's perfect. Sandy Flint, thank you so much for joining us on Last Chair. It's been fun to talk about this. It's a really important topic and love the colors at Steel and love what you're doing for the environment. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, great chatting with you today. Thanks to Sandy Flint for sharing some fascinating science. As skiers and riders, sustainability is important to us, and we thank Steel for its leadership. Before we go, let's head over to my hometown of Park City. If you're trying to find a base location for your adventure to Park City this winter or next, check out Park City Peaks Hotel. There are many reasons to choose Park City Peaks. Let's start with location, offering easy bus or shuttle access to the resorts and a host of cool local restaurants in walking distance. Park City Peaks has a mid-century design aesthetic to provide an at-home vibe as an independent modern mountain hotel. The centerpiece of Park City Peaks is the Versante Hearth and Bar, known for handcraft wood-fired pizzas and street breads, pastas, and much more. I consider it to be one of Park City's best hotel bars, blending locals and visitors together. Park City Peaks also offers a breakfast buffet, complimentary yoga every Thursday, hot cocoa and cookies every afternoon, hot tubs, ice skating, and the list goes on. Make Park City Peaks your choice this winter or next season. The Ski Utah Last Chair podcast is brought to you by High West Distillery. Follow our whiskey adventure on all social media platforms at Drink High West. And remember, sip responsibly. High West Whiskey, 46% alcohol by volume. High West Distillery in Park City, Utah. We've had a great season with Last Chair. Did you catch the episode with Dr. Mackenzie Skiles in a 10-foot deep snow pit talking about snowmelt? or the recent episode with UDOT's Cottonwoods Plow Team. If not, check them out today. If you like the podcast, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. And make sure to subscribe to get every episode delivered directly to you. Thanks for joining us on Last Chair. To close us out, let's welcome back our friends Pixie and the Partygrass Boys. I'm Tom Kelly for Last Chair, presented by High West. Have fun. It's a great day to ski in Utah.